0: So we continue uh, to be challenged by God's word again this morning and with discipleship lessons from the book of Philippians and we're going through a series this summer on Philippians and up to this section in the letter in in chapters 1 and 2, Paul's provided us direction for living, he's provided teaching, he's provided doctrine, Um, he's provided all this for the early church and for the present church today. Paul has provided us discipleship lessons from the book of Philippians. In today's passage, however, there is no direct instruction or doctrine or exhortation that Paul gives. But Paul continues to encourage us as we walk on our path following Christ. And Paul provides us an example of two model spiritual leaders to imitate. We have an example of two successful leaders. And success is measured in the quality of their character and the quality of their faith. So this morning we read from Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians two nineteen to 30. Let's come to God in prayer before we read from His Word. Lord God, we are thankful for Your Word, for direction on how we can live our lives, but more importantly, the story of your saving grace through your son, Jesus. So Lord, as we hear that and about who Jesus is and and what he has done for us, and we're reminded of that again, help us to respond in faith to Jesus and to live out our faith in a life worthy of the calling that you've called us to. So bless the reading and bless bless each one of us. Uh, May your spirit be upon us again this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. We thank God for his word. In a culture such as ours... um, We often get bombarded with images and information about people. Much of the media encourages people to seek role models and imitate those who are rich and famous. And the media encourages this through highlighting certain movie stars or musicians or sport figures or others. We applaud those who imitate the drive of Mark Zuckerberg or the athletic skill and success of LeBron James or Sidney Crosby. The wholesome attitude of Carrie Underwood, the terrible generosity of Bill Gates, or the agility and energy of young Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. These people are successful and perhaps even morally good. And scripture calls us to imitate people. But Scripture does not call us to imitate those who are only financially successful or athletic or morally good. As children, as youth, as young adults and adults, we are called to imitate people with godly characteristics. Not just good characteristics, but godly characteristics. You see, many people can be good and moral. But only those who have faith in Christ can be godly. In fact, in Hebrews 11, we can read a a whole list of many heroes of faith in which we are called to imitate. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, we hear these words, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul encourages people to see him as a model and to imitate him. He says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Godly people. We need examples. And we are called to be our examples ourselves. In today's reading, Paul gives us two examples. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are imitating Jesus, and and we are called to imitate Jesus and others who also imitate Jesus. Now, keep in mind, these guys are by no means perfect. They had character flaws. They relied on God's grace and forgiveness for their flaws. Nevertheless, they strove to be disciples that God called them to be. So let's take a look first at Timothy. Timothy. Paul had no one else like Timothy. Verse 20. Timothy is like Paul. He has a close relationship with the Lord and has the same vision as Paul. And it's likely that Timothy and Paul don't, don't think exactly the same, but Timothy has genuine interests of the people and the gospel message of Jesus Christ in mind. Timothy cares. He cares for Paul. He cares for the gospel. He cares for the people of Philippi. He loves the Lord and responds By loving God's people. Another time Paul sent Timothy to the Corinthian church. And we read in 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy. My son whom I love. Who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of the way of life in Jesus Christ. Which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul describes Timothy to the Philippians as a son who honors and respects his father in doing the work that he's called to. He is like a son who serves his father. And Timothy has served Paul in the work of the gospel. And Timothy, according to Paul, has proved himself. Timothy could be trusted. He followed Jesus, he followed Paul. Timothy had learned the art of putting others ahead of himself. And Timothy was a risk taker because he did put others ahead of himself. That takes risk. And Timothy, he had an agenda. I mean, everybody does. But Timothy's agenda was in line with Paul's and with the gospel. Timothy served the Lord by serving the people. And he extended grace and he extended love to those around him. As chapter 1, verse 27 states, he conducted himself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy was a faithful servant of Jesus. He was a godly person with a Christ-like attitude. And he is one in whom we can use as an example for our life. And then next, we're introduced to Epaphroditus. And we're not given much information, really, about his life, We're told that Epaphroditus uh, almost died, verse 30. But nothing is said about what ailed him. Paul doesn't elaborate on the illness and and he doesn't elaborate on his recovery. And Paul, he describes Epaphroditus as, as a fellow worker, a brother, a fellow soldier, a messenger. These are high praises. And there's a closeness that is described with Paul. Epaphroditus cares for Paul because he's willing to make the trip from Philippi to Rome. He cares for the people of Philippi. In verse 26, we read that he was rather homesick. He longed for the people of Philippi and he had compassion on them. He felt distressed because the the people of Philippi, they heard that he was sick and, and they could do nothing about it and they heard very little about him but he wanted to to meet them and be with them and to say that all is well. Epaphroditus was compassionate and sensitive to the people. Epaphroditus was from the Philippian church, and as Paul states, Epaphroditus was a risk-taker. Not that he was careless, but he risked his life for others. He risked his life for the gospel. He risked his life for Jesus. Epaphroditus was a godly person, And we are encouraged to imitate him. And you see, these men, they're not just hearing the gospel message, they are responding to the gospel message. They trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior of their life, they had faith in Jesus for their salvation, for forgiveness of all their sins. And they did fall short. We hear in God's word that we all fall short. And yet as a response on account of salvation through faith in Christ alone, they were working out their salvation. How are you responding in faith? How are you living out the gospel? Which faithful followers are are you imitating? Timothy? Epaphroditus? Paul? Paul? Jesus, others. Timothy and Epaphroditus were two different people, but one thing they had in common was Jesus. They both had faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's look at our Reformed Confessions for a moment. Heidelberg Catechism, Question and Answer 21. Because 21, Question and Answer 21 talks about faith. And it's in question 21 that asks the question, what is true faith? And it answers, in the answer 21, true faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything that God reveals in his word is true, it is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too, have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Faith does not save you. Jesus saves you by the grace of God, and faith helps you to believe that you are saved by grace. Faith helps you put your trust in Christ alone. And as we read in the Catechism, which comes from God's Word, is a summary of God's word, faith is only given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even, faith is not even on our own doing. And just as Timothy and Epaphroditus responded in faith, we too do need to respond in faith to Jesus. Here's a story about the difference in having faith and responding to faith. In 1859... There was a man by the name of Charles Blondin, and he accomplished an amazing feat. He crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and this tightrope was only about 10 centimeters, three inches wide. It was stretched almost 400 meters across the falls, and it was at a height of over 50 meters. On the days following, Blondin then crossed over doing additional stunts. He once executed a backward somersault. He crossed over while blindfolded, no holding of hands, while pushing a wheelbarrow on stilts, in the dark with candles flaring from the ends of his balancing pole. At one time, he even stopped halfway across, and he cooked an omelet on a portable stove and lowered it to a boat below him. It was in September of 1860, he accomplished his most amazing feat of all. Before crossing the rope on that particular day, Charles Blondin turned to the crowd and he asked the crowd, do you believe I can cross this rope? Now the crowd, already have, having seen him do it, they roared with excitement. Oh yes, we truly believe that you can. And then he proceeded to ask the crowd, do you believe I can cross this rope with someone on my back? And the crowd roared its approval, yes, we believe you can. And then Charles asked, who will volunteer? The crowd went silent, and not a voice was heard. He then pointed out to a man standing nearby, and he asked, well, how about you? The man nervously replied, hardly. You don't think I'm going to risk my life like that, do you? And he walked away. Next, Charles pointed to another man, and he asked, what about you? And the man replied, I believe. In fact, I have no doubt at all. Charles said, will you trust me? And the man said, I will. So the man then proceeded to climb on the back of Charles Blondin, and they headed across the falls. The crowd waited breathlessly while they crossed, and then they roared their approval once they completed the crossing safely. Now, what they didn't know at that time was that the man who crossed on Blondin's back was Harry Colcord, his manager. Harry Colcord knew how good Charles Blondin was and fully trusted him. His faith was secure. As the object of his faith, Charles Blondin was trustworthy and had proven himself so over the many years. You see, when we have faith, we have faith in someone. Our faith has an object or subject. And Jesus Christ is the object. He's the subject of our faith. And Jesus Christ has proven himself trustworthy because he created the world we we live in. He came and lived a blameless life without sin. He served in sacrifice, even to the point of dying on the cross, for all our sins. And then Jesus overcame death and he rose from the dead because he is God who came in the flesh. Jesus has power over death and power over life. He ascended to heaven, he will return again. And we believe all that the scriptures say about Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He is worthy of our trust. And so will we be like the Blonden crowd? Cheering Jesus on, but not risking when he calls us? Or will we be like Colcord? We will have faith. We'll have faith in Jesus. And not be afraid to risk in responding in faith to Jesus. You see, faith involves believing in Jesus. Faith involves believing in Jesus who is trustworthy. Trustworthy believing faith is is believing and trusting that god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so we need to have faith in jesus believe in him as we know jesus through his word and we trust him daily as he daily carries us on our tightrope of life release our control to him So there's two questions here. Is Jesus the object of your faith? And if so, how are you responding in faith to Jesus? So we have to be willing to respond wherever Jesus asked us to. Timothy and Epaphroditus responded in faith. They were willing to take those steps to the edge of their comfort zone and take one more step beyond. Are you willing to take that extra step of risk and faith and imitate them or imitate Jesus and go where he calls you to go? You know, for some, just coming to church on Sunday mornings can be quite difficult. And perhaps that's already taking you to the edge of your comfort zone. But whether it's difficult or maybe you come here willingly and quite easy, but we all can ask well, where is Jesus leading you next with your time, with his will? Is he challenging you to join a small group? Is he challenging you to take a leadership role? We often will find some kind of excuse. Maybe we'll say, well, there's no small group that's convenient for me. And that's a legitimate excuse. So start one. Praying for others might be challenging for some. Where is Jesus leading you next in your prayer life? The Community Opportunity Scan team is challenging us to pray for our neighbors, to actually go out and and pray for our community. Have you risked signing up for the town of Exeter or perhaps in your own neighborhood to see where God will transform our town or your town and more importantly, transform you? Offering our spiritual gifts, that can be risky. And that's a step of faith and challenge for some. Is God calling you to risk your spiritual gifts to the glory of God, to the glory of His church? Where is He stretching you next in ministry And in his kingdom. And what about our financial offerings? I think too often we fail to risk our possessions for Jesus and for others. Our financial gifts and our material possessions are to be used by God because they're all his, they're to be used by God by sharing with God's people in the church and beyond. Statistics tell stories. And the statistic, as of June 30th, the first six months, 35% of the members gave nothing to the budget. But thankfully, it's greater than what was the first quarter, which was 60%. God calls us to respond in faith by giving our first fruits to his body, to his church, In faith, risk your finances and see how the Lord will bless you. Whether you gave zero or you gave more, review it. See if your will, your agenda is in line with what God is desiring for you. Jesus Christ risked it all. He risked his life. We read last week in Philippians 2 how Jesus humbled himself to become obedient He became obedient to God right up to death, even death on a cross. So we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. We praise Jesus. We cheer Jesus on. We give him the glory. And are you going to imitate faithful followers? And what are you going to risk for Jesus on account of what he risked for us? And there's there's more areas in our lives that we need to risk for Jesus. Friends, use Timothy and Epaphroditus as godly, faithful examples to imitate. Use them as people who risk their comfortable lives for Jesus. Put your faith in Christ alone and respond in faith to Christ alone. I want to close this message off with a prayer. It was a prayer that was prayed by Sir Francis Drake, and he was a 16th century sea captain and a politician. So let's pray together. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well-pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, When we arrive safely because we've sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we've lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord. To dare more boldly. To venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes. And to push into the future in strength, courage, faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.